Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money, and I am so excited because today I am sitting down with our friend Jenna Kutcher, who is also a fellow Wisconsinite. How cool is that? Now, on the surface, you might say that Jenna is a wedding photographer, but once you get to know her, you realize that she's actually this inspiring business mogul who has taken a very common industry and turned it into a serious seven-figure business. Jenna is a self-proclaimed educator. She loves to work with other women, not only photographers, but all sorts of entrepreneurial brands out there, and help them grow their businesses. As a matter of fact, she is an expert at everything branding. The Huffington Post literally just called her an Instagram expert. So you know what we're doing? We're digging in, and we're going to find out everything that you can do to grow your Instagrams faster and more effectively. We also talk about how to determine what your services or products are worth, how to put a price on what you do, and then we get really vulnerable in this episode, talking about a recent personal struggle that she's had to endure and how she kept her business running while she dealt with it. So if any of you ever find yourselves struggling with something personal, you'll be able to reference back to this for inspiration on how to keep your business going. So make sure you are ready to listen up because this is one of the best episodes ever. All right, Jenna, I am so freaking grateful to have you on and excited because you are a fellow Scani person just like myself. I'm so excited to be here. Go Wisconsin. Right? It's amazing how we, you know, we're born and raised in these small towns of Wisconsin and we end up just kind of going out there and kicking butt in life. There's a, there's a trend there. Straight up kindred spirits, for sure. And we love cheese and beer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So here's what I want to kind of start with. Um, Everybody always kind of wants to know who each guest is that I have on. So in your words, who is Jenna Kutcher? Well, I'm a very, very normal girl to start off. And I've been really fortunate to just build a brand on that authenticity and vulnerability um, of just being a woman. But I am a total entrepreneur at heart. A lot of people think of me as a wedding photographer, which is one of the things that I do. And that is kind of how I got my start as an entrepreneur. But since starting six years ago, I've really just diversified my business in giant ways. Um, I have my own podcast, the Gold Digger podcast. We have an online shop. Um, I teach multiple online courses and I really just have a heart for encouraging women entrepreneurs in their journey and also just letting other people know that they're not alone. I think that this journey is super isolating and a lot of times we can just feel so alone in our endeavors and I know that dream chasing is super scary and so my biggest goal is just to encourage other people and to let them know like, hey, there are other people trekking alongside of you. Like we are all in this together. Oh my God. I love that. And I love that you're so focused on women entrepreneurs. That's something I'm going to ask you about a little bit later. You know how passionate Lori and I are about that as well. I've never done this before, but can I tell you who I think Jenna Kutcher is? Absolutely. (laughs) It's funny. I've literally never done this before, but (laughs) we're chatting a little bit offline before and Lori and I literally look up to you so much. I think that Jenna Kutcher from the first time I met you in January is an expert at everything branding. Like everything you put out is so beautiful. You want to touch it and pick it up and look at it, even though it's online and you can't. Um, I think you're a wordsmith. Just going through your website and your blog and everything, the way that you write is, it's unlike anyone else I've ever seen. It it literally makes you happy from the inside out. Um, You're a home run hitter because in the short time that I've known you, every single thing you touch seems to turn to gold, which is a huge inspiration for Lori and I. And you're just this total kick-ass business mogul that, like you said, you know, comes from a small town in Wisconsin, sharing similar roots as me, yet you've taken this very 
average industry, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, I just mean there's a lot of wedding photographers out there, and you've turned it into this massive seven-figure success story. And, and it's mind-blowing, and it's, it's inspiring. So that's how we see you from the outside looking in. Well, that's pretty much the kindest introduction I've ever gotten. And now we've set the bar very high for this show, but I know we can do it. <laughs> so I want to ask you how you have taken, you know, a, a very common industry, and that is wedding photographer, and turned it into this giant seven-figure juggernaut entrepreneurial endeavor that you have. Absolutely. So when I went to college, I went to a small town in Wisconsin, um, Stevens Point, and I totally thought that I bunch. wanted, to, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's, you know, there's about 12,000 students at the university and that's where I met my husband. Um, but I envisioned myself becoming this corporate CEO. I wanted that corner office with all the glass and I wanted to wear power heels and awesome business suits, which is hilarious because I'm recording this barefoot in yoga pants <laughs> in a totally different type of setting. Um, and so I studied corporate business and I looked at a lot of different things like that. And I actually got a job right out of college working for Target, which if you're from the Midwest, it's a really big deal in the Midwest because it's headquartered in Minnesota and a lot of my family's in Minnesota. So it looks like, oh, wow, you, you got this dream job. And I landed in that dream job and it was not a dream. And I was working around the clock. I was exhausted and I just felt like there had to be something more. I knew that there had to be something more for my life than just collecting paychecks and staying at a job because everyone thought it was this dream. In reality, I was throwing out the garbage, managing a giant team. I was basically a glorified team member in red and khaki. And while I learned so much, I knew that there had to just be something else for me. And so the funniest thing about my whole story is that that something else was a $300 Craigslist camera. I never went to school for photography. I never took a single art class, but I bought a camera while Drew and I were planning our wedding and I started to play around on it and I really enjoyed it. And I started posting stuff on Facebook, of course, and people started kind of asking if I would take photos for them. And so it turned into this thing where I'm like, wow, like people will actually pay me to do this. This is so fun. Um, once I started doing that, I was like, I got to get out of this corporate thing. I'm going to make this happen. And so I hustled so hard around the clock and I was able to book 25 weddings without having shot a single one. <laughs> and I was able to leave my corporate job a year later. And so I was just from the very beginning, very interested in branding and the vision that I was sharing with people through photos and words. And I think that it, I really captured a bride spirit because I was a bride at that stage of my life. And so I really understood the emotions that women go through as they're planning their wedding and what's really important to them. So over the last six years, I've really just focused on building this, this giant business, which just started as wedding photography, but I can 110% um, really blame my expansion on the fact that I always understood what branding needed to look like, what people needed to hear. Um, and I wanted my brides to felt both seen and heard. I didn't want them to just be looked at. And so as I started to become successful as a photographer, I looked around and a lot of my fellow artists, they weren't successful. They were starving artists. Like so many of my friends in the industry were really flailing and I didn't get it because I had hit six figures. I'm like, I don't understand how you guys are not making money. Like this is a really lucrative business. And so I started teaching and I was really scared to teach because I think so often in life we ask ourselves, who am I to be an expert at anything? I think we're constantly questioning our worth and our value that we have to add to the world. And so when I started teaching, it was terrifying, like to ask people to pay me to teach them stuff. Um, I just, I was worried like, will people get out of it what they need to um, and so very slowly, we just started to expand to social media courses, photography courses, um, email list building courses, and then my podcast was born. And I think that's when I really started to get on the radars of not just photographers, but other creative entrepreneurs that were pursuing their biggest and boldest adventures. That's totally insane. I know everyone's going to want me to ask you or, or push you a little bit here. How did you book 25 weddings before you <laughs> shot a single one? And I mean, literally, yeah. how? 
Um, I know. So I get asked this all the time and I'm almost slightly embarrassed to explain my process <laughs> because I like went in for the kill. So first things first, I created a blog and at the time blogging wasn't as popular as it is today. So this is six years ago and I hired a graphic design student to create a logo. So I looked super legit and I started just shooting our friends and family. And so my first wedding ever was a uh, wedding in Jamaica. And it was my brother and sister-in-law. And I put those photos everywhere. Like you would have thought I shot 10 weddings just from being at that one, just the way that I was sharing things. Um, and so the second thing that I did correctly was that I branded myself as a specific wedding photographer. So a lot of times when people start out, they want to be all things to all people. And I knew number one, I was passionate about weddings, but number two, the profit margin was largest in weddings. And so I branded myself very clearly. And then the third thing I did, well, actually I did four things. So the third thing I did was paid advertising. And nowadays I tell a lot of artists to not do paid advertising because I've learned how to leverage free resources. Um, but at the time I advertised on a really popular wedding website and, um, they just made me look really legit. And I just followed it up with some really smart workflows considering I was just starting out. And then the last thing I did, which is the embarrassing part is that anytime I saw somebody got engaged on Facebook, I would legitimately message them and say, congratulations on your engagement. I'm a wedding photographer. Do you need a wedding photographer? And Hey, I was bold. And I think that boldness totally paid off. How many people said yes? Um, I mean, I got a handful. The, the funny thing was, is when I set my prices, I intentionally didn't set them super low, which is also one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they price their services super low. And I think that that invokes doubt in people's minds. Cause they're like, is this too good to be true? Like, why are they so cheap? And so once I booked my first client at my higher rates, I was like, if one person will say yes, I know I can get more people to say yes. And so it just gave me that enough spirit of spunk to be like, I can do this. I can get after it. And so I would literally wear my red and khaki to work. I would change into regular clothes, head over to the Starbucks across the street, conduct a consultation or a meeting, and then head back into work. And no one knew I was living this double life um, for a year straight, but it was, it was totally worth it. And sometimes I look back to those days and I'm like, how did I get all of that done while working a full-time job? Like, I don't understand. Oh my God. That is amazing. You know what I love about your answer there is you were so resourceful and that was everything you listed is something that everybody could do regardless of industry. It, they could do Absolutely. the exact same things and launch their business from zero to 60 in no time at all, except too many people get in their heads. Absolutely. And that's what we were looking at. I mean, to be entirely frank, we were really poor. Um, we had just graduated college. We planned our wedding um, and we paid for almost the whole thing on our own. And so we, we really had to be resourceful. For, so we were using my corporate job to help fund any of the photography stuff while it was getting started. And, you know, it was one of those things like anyone can start a blog for free. Anyone can Facebook message for free. Anyone can go out and do their work for free so that they have work to show for it. And I think that is the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur. I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. You know, you, you mentioned the term starving artists. And so I kind of want to pull that term out again. You work with tons of photographers trying to get yep. their businesses off the ground. Do a lot of artists in general suffer from limiting money mindsets? Have you found, have you seen any pattern there? Uh, the whole Absolutely. starving artist expectation? Yeah, I think that one of the things that has really set me apart is that I believe that we should get paid to do what we love. I think that there is nothing wrong in that. And I think a lot of times um, what we're getting paid to do started as a hobby. And so for a lot of people, transitioning from a hobby to a legitimate job where you're making an income can sometimes feel wrong, like that you're not deserving to get paid to do something you really enjoy. And I found the opposite to be true. When I'm really enjoying something, I'm doing my best work and you better believe I should get paid for my time. And so one is a lot of times people just don't believe that they're deserving to get paid or that life can't be this good. And the other thing that I notice is that artists are very, very quick to discount um, and discount their rates, discount their services. And I remember a story I heard one time 
that a photographer was at a consultation and she told the person how much they owed and they hesitated for a slight second. And right away, the photographer was like, no, 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 I'll, I'll take $1,000 off. It's a, it's a special. You can have it. Where in reality, that client was just reaching for their checkbook to pay. And so that story always sticks with me because a lot of times we try to guess what people will be willing to pay for our products or our services instead of just trusting that we can speak directly to the people who will see our worth and see our value and pay in full. And so I believe that there are definitely limited mindsets. And those are the two most common that I've seen with different artists that I've worked with. And were you just kind of born with the ability to say, no, I'm worth this much and I'm going to come right out of the gates? Or was there some kind of process you went through to bring yourself up to that level? So it's definitely a twofold answer. Um, growing up, we did not have a ton of money. And so I grew up working multiple jobs. Um, I remember one summer I worked four different jobs. I drove a forklift. I worked at a country club. I cleaned limos and I folded clothes at Abercrombie and Fitch. It's so Wisconsin. It's awesome. It is. And I, you know, I did all the things, um, to pay my way through school. And I think that my parents, while we didn't always have a lot, they always instilled that like, you can work for what you need. But the other thing that I've really taken with me and learned a lot about even this year is that time is my motivator and money is not my motivator. Money is just a measure of how I'm doing with my time. And so when I started to notice that mindset that it's not necessarily money that motivates me, but how am I spending my time in a way that makes perfect sense and is aligned with my mission and vision? Um, that's when I know I'm doing my best work. And so I have definitely had to let go of some of my obsessions with money over the years and really look at what is a healthy way for me to work towards. Is it going to be money or is it going to be having a month off in Hawaii or what does that look like? And what is a goal that really keeps me driven throughout the week, but it's definitely been a process. And I think that a lot of us have very complicated, um, mindsets when it comes to money. And I also think that they're always evolving, which I know you talk about so much on your show. That's true. I, I feel like we're constantly, um, eliminating, you know, certain limiting money mindsets, and then we bump into to new ones. And it's kind of an ongoing battle, no matter what level that we're going to be at. Have you kind of found that when you went from six figures to seven, all of a sudden now you, you've bumped up against another set of limiting beliefs, how to get to eight, et cetera, et cetera? I think that um, sometimes it just doesn't even seem real to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will look at what we're bringing in and what we've been able to build. And it just like, it doesn't seem real to me. And something that I'm really excited about, um, is that we will be entirely debt free in the next week as in literally no debt on planet earth, our house, our condo, everything will be paid off and we're not even 30. And so, um, it, it's, we want to be good stewards of the money that we're making. And we want to not live like we're always going to have this beautiful lifestyle, even though we pray that that would be the case. And so I do think that there are definitely different mindsets. And I think that Drew and I as a couple really have to work together and say, you know, what is our goal right now? Or what are we working towards as a pair? Um, what do we value the most right now? And sometimes it looks like a vacation. Sometimes it looks like time at home, whatever that is. Um, I think that we just always have to be in conversation about it. It's incredible. First of all, congratulations. Not many people can say that, especially before you're even 30. That's so wild. Just congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. So you were just named Best Wedding Photographer in Wisconsin by Wisconsin Bride Magazine, not just this past year, but for the fourth freaking year <laughs> in a row. Are you serious? Yeah, So congrats for that. But here's the question I want to ask you. How? Like, what does it take to stand out in your field like that? So that award always just makes me smile because it's reader's choice. And so when I look at that award, it isn't just a reflection of me by any means. In fact, I think it's more of a reflection of the people that I've surrounded myself with. And something that's super interesting about my audience is that the bigger it grows, the more engaged they become. And we've been, I mean, I've been so fortunate to just keep building this audience up. Um, but there's just something beautiful about being vulnerable. And the more vulnerable I have 
I've been and the more that I've shared things that I struggle with or things that are going really great or questions that I have in my life, the more that I've just aligned myself with the right people. And so whenever we win that award, it's just a really, really cool reflection that we can ask our readers and our followers and the people on our email list to, Hey, can you help us out for a second? We're running for this. And would you be a part of this success story? And people are just on board. And the funniest thing about, um, that award is that it's this big industry gala night and it's really fun to get dressed up. But every single year I bring my parents, my in-laws and my grandparents and no one else in the industry brings anyone of their family. But for me, I don't necessarily want to hang out with other people in my industry. I love them all dearly, but I want to surround myself with the people who have believed in me, who have seen me up late working or, you know, I've missed weekends with them because I've been working on this stream. And so I just love the opportunity to celebrate with my sweet family. And, um, it's just so fun, but I think standing out is just really becoming who you are and not blending in. And I think in so many industries, we are all about like, how can I look like everyone else? And I think that we do that because we're so worried about being called a fraud or we're so worried that somebody's going to call us out and say, I know that you don't know what you're doing and you shouldn't be doing that anymore. And so for very long, I just tried to blend in. I didn't want anyone to know I didn't go to school for photography or I hadn't been doing this a very long time. And I finally just became comfortable saying like, this is who I am. I know I have something to offer. It might not look like somebody who's been professionally trained as a photographer, but I know I can give you awesome photos and a really great experience. And I know that you will be talking about me years from now. It's incredible. So if you want to stand out in your field, you have to be afraid to do just that or not be afraid to do just that. And that is stand out or find your uniqueness, I think, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So where did this insane drive and for, you know, this high standard of performance come from? Is this like ingrained in you from your family or? <laughs> yeah. Um, so growing up, I was a competitive gymnast and I was one of those girls who I spent eight hours a day in the summer at the gym every single day. Um, during the school year, we worked out four to five hours a night and one of the coolest things that I've really taken away as an adult is my parents couldn't afford my lessons, um, but they knew how important it was to me. And so they actually bartered with my coach and said, Hey, um, we're really handy and we can get our hands dirty. We'll renovate the gym. We'll renovate the locker rooms. We'll renovate the kitchen. We'll renovate the bathrooms. If Jenna can keep going as a gymnast. Um, and it really taught me one to be resourceful, but I think that when you are competing at like an elite level at a very young age, you learn how to manage your time and you learn what's really important to you. And so going out of my gymnastics career, I became a collegiate diver and I dove all four years of college. And I think just that athletic spirit of competing, um, and really just enjoying like being too busy. And we've talked about this before. Lori is very much like me. We function best when our plate is full. And I think it's because we don't have the opportunity to overthink things. We just got to get the work done. And so every time I have some clear time in my schedule, we always fill it up with something way bigger and way better than we were ever planning on. I think that is remarkable that your parents did that so that you could that cool? be, a, I mean, that's just incredible. No wonder you're you're, you're a so resourceful now and b you have such a giving heart now it came from them leading by example yeah I think and it's really cool because I I never put much thought to it until I started growing up and I looked at that and I'm like you know it was super expensive there was meat fees and leotards and all these things and for them to see me and want to give me that opportunity but not be able to pay for it um, I think it is so cool. I remember my mom writing up professional contracts to give to my coach um, and just really, really asking for what she wanted and, and outlining it. And it's just, it taught me so much. That's incredible. I love that story. And here you are today, you know, you've come from, from that to this person who the Huffington Post just called you an Instagram expert. Congratulations, <laughs> by the way. That's a very cool oh, development this past week. I mean, you've got 130,000 followers and everything that you seem to put out just gets so much engagement. So help. I'm raising my hand on behalf of every single listener <laughs> and saying, help us. Yes. What do we need to know about yes. building a bigger, faster, more engaged audience? 
Absolutely. So I'll walk you through a few of my favorite steps when it comes to Instagram. Um, one of the first problems that I see that people have, especially as business owners, is that you only want to post about the business. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And there's a time and a place for that. But I think that nowadays people want to connect with people and we are so much more likely if we trust that person and we feel like we know them to buy into what they're doing. And so a lot of times I'll see entrepreneurs only posting about their work or only showing their work and never showing their own faces. And I think that that is the number one disservice you can have on your feed. Now, I always tell people that when you pull up your Instagram account and you see those top nine tiles, those are your grid. And if your face is not in those top nine, you might've just lost your client. And I know for a fact that I will go to different accounts. And if I am not clear on whose account this is or who's writing the captions or what I'm looking at, I'm likely not going to follow it. And so that would be my first piece of advice. Now, a few things that I've talked to you and Lori about is I call it the Jenna Kutcher five. And I wish that I had a way more clever way of describing this, but <sighs> Something that I think that is super cool to do within your feed, especially if you're not feeling inspired or you're not quite sure what to be posting, is I say pick five categories of your life, especially if you're a personal brand. So pick five things that if I asked your best friend or your mom, tell me a little bit about Chris or tell me a little bit about Lori, they would say these five things. And I would say like your dog, you love health and fitness, you love each other. Lori is like a little fashionista and you guys have a million projects going on. And so what I usually do is I'll plan out my week in advance and I'll say, okay, Monday through Friday, I'm going to post one post from each category. So for me, I post about photography. I'll do a watercolor quote because I love writing those out. I'll do something about our marriage. I'll do something about our favorite travels. And we love dogs as well. And we foster a lot of dogs. And so I'll usually post a puppy picture. And the cool thing about that is that little by little, as you keep repeating this pattern, people start to recognize you, not just by what you do, but by who you are. And so a lot of people tease me because I'm really obsessed with macaroni and cheese. And so anytime they're walking through a grocery store, they're going to think of me when they walk through the pasta aisle. And that's what I want. I don't want people thinking about me when they're already looking at wedding photos because they're likely not my wedding photos. I want them to think of me when they see a puppy in the street. I want them to think of me when they see black yoga pants. And so I'm creating this brand recognition across the board by sharing different aspects of my life, but also by piquing people's interest in creating different connection points. And so a lot of times people hide behind what they do because it's really safe. It's really safe to say, I'm a photographer, so I'm gonna post about photography. But what we're forgetting about is that everyone is seeking connection. When you go on to scroll, you want to either feel entertained, less alone, or like more human. Like when I see things and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can so relate, you better believe I'm gonna double tap. And so we always want to be creating connection. And a lot of times it's hard to create connection just by what we do. And so we have to turn to who we are. And a lot of people will look at what I do online and they'll say, well, gosh, like I don't want to put all of my life out there. But the truth is, is that I'm actually a very private person. I just share things that I know are going to create connection and that are meaningful to me because I don't necessarily look at my entire feed as advertising. I look at it as my legacy and I want to be showing up in my legacy. And I also want to be keeping it real. Like I want to look back at my feed a year from a year ago and say, that's exactly where I was at in life. Like this is my diary. This is our generation's way of remembering what we're doing in life. And so while life is beautiful and styled and curated, sometimes it's really messy and hard. And I want to look back at that and say, that's Jenna a year ago. This is where I am now and see that growth and change. So, I mean, there are a million tips that I can give on Instagram, but I would just say really just vary it up, share who you are, tell really good stories. When you're writing captions, it's so easy to look back at when our parents would make scrapbooks and say, Chris Harder is interviewing Jenna Kutcher today on the show, but tell me a story. Tell me why I should be compelled enough to take action. Tell me why I should click off of the app that I just clicked onto in order to see something different. And so I think that a lot of times our captions are missed opportunities. And so I always ask myself three questions. I say, why does this matter? 
Um, who is this serving beyond me? So it's not just a humble brag post or something that brings me up. And how can I do this story justice? And I truly believe that behind every image that we're sharing, there is a true story. And when we share those stories, that's when people become engaged with not just our content, but who we are as a human being. That's incredible. And I, I couldn't agree more that people want to see you, no matter what your business is, they want mm -hmm. to see and get to know and love and trust you. And then then they'll buy from you, whatever it is Absolutely. that you have to offer. Now, speaking of buying though, how do you monetize your audience on Instagram? Um, so let's say we follow everything that you just talked about and our, yeah. grow, our, our followers are thriving and, and we're growing. How do you actually get them to click off that app? Like you had said, because I feel like that's one of the toughest challenges with Instagram compared to Facebook or something like that. Yeah. So I have a few different strategies that I use. So we monetize my Instagram in a few different ways. So we do sponsored posts um, and we're very, very, very careful um, what we select. And it has to just be an organic fit. Um, it has to be something that isn't forced. It has to be something that I can be in control of what the image looks like and what is said in the caption. Um, and so every month we'll take on maybe two to three sponsored posts, which usually we end up making about $5,000 or so just off of those. Um, but then we really look at what I love to call the jab, 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 right hook method, which is an amazing book if you've never read it. Um, but we really talk about serving, 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 and then selling. And so when you look at those five categories, if you follow the Jenna Kutcher five method, you are going to have one opportunity to sell each week or to have a really big call to action or a big ask. And the cool thing about when you spread that out over five posts is that you can be serving your audience throughout those first four, even if it's as simple as just creating connection. And when it comes time for that fifth one, that's where you really pack a punch with the invitation. So for example, if I am going to just share some different content throughout the week, but then I really want somebody to opt in for my email list, or I want them to listen to a podcast episode, I make it as easy as possible for them to do that. So really utilizing your link in your profile and also using your Instagram stories to point to that same link. But then I'm also going to make sure that I'm giving them a reason to click off. And I think that a lot of times we are really, really cautious in doing this where we need to just be packing a punch with our words. And so let's say I want to share this podcast episode I'm not just going to say, Hey, this was so cool. I was on Chris Harder's podcast. I'm going to take a quote out of this, or I'm going to tell a story about what this conversation looks like. And then I'm going to say to see more or to hear more, click here. And you want to use it as a teaser, just like we use clickbait when it comes to email marketing. You want to use your captions as just a little taste so that people are really encouraged to click off. And then when they click off, they know exactly what action you want them to take. So a lot of times throughout the week, I'll use really small call to actions. I use calls to action in every single post that I post, whether it's double tap, if you agree, or tag someone else who might need this message or comment below with your favorite emoji, um, different things like that. So very small actions that I ask my followers to take so that when it comes time to really ask for a big ask, people are ready and willing to do it. Oh my God. Everything that you talk about is so genius. I just get so excited over here. I'm like, ah, I got to do it. Okay. I'm going to do all this. Good. <laughs> is this kind of what you mean way back earlier when you said, um, in these days, there's so many free resources. You don't really need paid advertising. Is this kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, the thing that I've really learned, especially as an educator who is constantly putting out free content is I like to put out the pieces of the puzzle, but then anything that are the paid opportunities, that is the how. And so a lot of times when I teach, it's the what and the why. And then when I put together a paid offer, it is the how. So I want to make people understand what is important and why it's important for them. And then I'm going to say, Hey, I pulled all of these resources together. I created this opportunity for you to get the how so that I can shorten your learning curve or really make this a really easy way for you to implement something that you've just learned about. That's awesome. And now you're teaching this among other things in a new business mastermind that you're putting together. 
Explain yes. what a business mastermind is. I mean, obviously, I know because we're in one together. Thank <laughs> God. But yes. um, explain for everyone else, what is a business mastermind and who are the type of people that should apply for yours? Absolutely. So first things first, I never thought that I would lead a mastermind. And the funniest thing is, is that for a very long time, people have asked me to do in-person workshops or things like that. And I've always joked, I'm like, well, you better show up in yoga pants and be ready to eat mac and cheese. And there will be puppies everywhere because that would be my dream conference. I'd be and there so in two seconds. That's I, what everyone said. Not the like, yoga but pants, but the mac and cheese and puppies. <laughs> um, and so I'm so excited. But basically what a mastermind is, is it's a collective group of people who are working to sharpen themselves and sharpen one another. And so when I looked at joining a mastermind this year, which is the one that we're in together, um, what I looked at was not just what industry people were in, but the quality of the people. And I actually chose the mastermind that we're in because I didn't want to be in one with everyone from my industry. I wanted to look outward to see what was working for other people and how I could apply that. And so when I started thinking about what my mastermind would look like, um, I envision anywhere from 20 to 25 women entrepreneurs who are ready to launch big things. And so just through this year, we've launched a podcast, we're launching a product shop, we launched courses, um, and we've done a ton of different launching. And so I want to get women who are looking ahead and saying, I don't want to just be a multifaceted creative person. I want to launch bigger and better things and I want to make a bigger impact. And so we're planning um, three live events throughout the year for all of us to come together. And I'm just really, really thrilled to be able to connect with people on a more one-on-one -on -one level. And one of the really hard decisions that we made in my business was that I wasn't going to do any one-on-one -on -one coaching. Just, I don't have the bandwidth for it. It's really hard to place a monetary value on what that looks like. And so starting a mastermind and just knowing the kind of women that I can get into one space and facilitate, like I'm going to be learning so much from it as well. And so I'm super excited. The other really cool part of that is that I'm providing a job for my mom so that she can hopefully retire soon. And so she is going to be my mastermind partner in crime. She's going to be planning the events, organizing the caterers and doing all of that. And so it's a really cool opportunity to pay back to my family for all that they've done for me. And I get so emotional just thinking about it because it's so cool to be able to use your business in that kind of way. That's incredible. It's one example about when you are massively successful then you get to pay that forward by helping your family or helping your friends or helping total strangers. That literally is one of the core reasons to become massively successful, isn't it? So that you can then go involve these people in, in doing these things. Absolutely. I mean, I look at my team today and it's women, it's women with children. Um, it's my sister is leaving her job so that she can work for me and, just looking at the opportunities we're able to give and not just the opportunities, but the lifestyle to give to other people. Um, it's amazing. And it's so humbling because it's like, I did not build this all by myself and I couldn't do it all by myself, but what a beautiful extension of our brand to be able to serve and like pour into other people's lives and just give them a lifestyle where like yesterday, one of my assistants, one of her daughters had to go to the hospital and I'm like, don't worry about work. Like we got this, like go take care of your family, like come back whenever you're ready. And so I think that's so cool. I love that. I want to keep talking about generosity in business in a minute. Um, but first I kind of want to switch modes and I, I want to talk about something that is, I think, very difficult for people to talk about in business, but needs to be talked about. And that is when you go through something really tough and really personal in business, uh, or I'm sorry, in your life, and yet you have this team that you just referenced, um, how do you keep everything going? So for some context, I know you recently had your second miscarriage and, and I'm so sorry to hear that. And I know it was extremely tough on you. Talk to us about being an entrepreneur with a team, with responsibilities, with a business, and keeping that going while you're going through something that is such a struggle. Absolutely. So 
Um, it's so crazy to look at the way God has used these really hard events in my life and just the purpose that they've served. And it's really just given me a lot of peace over the situation. It doesn't mean it's been easy by any means. Um, but the really, really unique thing to look at is when we had our first miscarriage, which was last year, I literally did not have a team. I had zero, zero people and everything was on me. And I look back at that season and I realized that I was white knuckling my business. Like I was clinging to the wheel. I wasn't able to, you know, even just unfold my hands, even just a smidge, um, because I was wanting to be in control of everything. And there was so much fear to, for me to hand anything off because I was believing these lies that only I could do these things that only I was capable of sending these emails or editing these images or whatever that looked like. It was all lies. And so when we went through our first miscarriage, um, I was in the middle of a launch. And so I looked back and I, I recently stumbled upon some emails from that time. And I was trying to coordinate all these things with all these people to keep my launch going while we were in this really, really hard season. And it almost like broke my heart to think back and realize like I was working my butt off when I should have probably just been resting and like processing. And so when we walked that road again this year, which was just like shocking to me, I just couldn't believe that was happening again. It was entirely different. And we were in the middle of a launch again, and I had texted my team right from the doctor's office. And I said, we lost another baby. Our appointment didn't go well. And my team literally said, sign off. We've got this. Um, I was supposed to do a live webinar an hour later. They got a recording up. They got everything figured out. And it was just this most amazing experience to see these women like rally around me, not just because they're getting paid, but because they love me. And my team worked crazy hours that week and I had zero things on my plate. And it was just the opposite of what it had looked like before. And it was just this reminder of like, look at how far you've come. And like, would you have ever asked for help had you not needed it that first time? Um, and so when I look back at the two different instances, I really see that my hands have been opened and I've gotten the ability to ask for help and what an awesome thing it is. And when you hire a team that thinks the best of you, that believes in you, that gets behind you, it is the most incredible thing you can do for yourself, for your sanity, for your business. And so it was really amazing to just see the difference in that. And we have shared our struggle very publicly. Um, it's been just something I felt called to do. And it also just helps us kind of process through all of that. But it's made so much more of an impact even in just sharing than some of the other things like awards or accolades or downloads or whatever those numbers that we judge are worth off of. Um, to me, it's just seeing other people who have walked this journey feel a little bit less alone. It's absolutely amazing that you're willing to talk about that and, and share that so publicly and so that you can help others get through similar struggles. And, and I just even learned something from listening to you. And that is you need to be okay with asking for help um, all mm -hmm. the time, but especially, especially when you're going through whatever, um, you know, tough times that you're going through. That's when you really need to be able to ask for help. It sounds like. Absolutely. And I've been trying to flex my asking for help muscle <laughs> more in life because I am a very proud person and I love to be in control. And I think that the process of growing a team and really building a team has just taught me that it is okay to ask for help. It is okay to say, I don't understand how to do that. Can you help me out with this? Um, and the more that you ask for help, the more you get used to it, the more it becomes just part of who you are. And it's just really cool to, to see your team that, I mean, everyone works remotely, everyone's in different States to have all of those women come together and build those relationships as they're working towards a common goal. And so I think that even in those really hard times, you have to do what's best for yourself. And for some people, it looks like shutting down for a week, a month, a year, whatever that looks like. But for me, whenever my life hits the fan, my business booms because I am able to pour in um, to my business harder and I'm able to look and say, 
You know, I can't control some of the stuff that's happening in my life, but I can control the stuff that I'm working towards. And I kind of take those things that have been hanging out at the bottom of my to-do list or the bottom of my goals list. And I bring them up to the top and I say, it's go time. Like, let's do this. And so with each loss, I think I've just really skyrocketed my business even greater, um, because of my vulnerability, but also because I can take that little bit of control that I still have in my life and pour it into something bigger. Wow, that's that's incredible, and and I know everything you just said right there, that's inspiring an awful lot of people out there. So thank you for sharing that. That's mm-hmm. that's remarkable. Now I've got to say, Jenna, you are by far one of the most generous people I've been around. You know, every time that we're at our mastermind, you're setting up photo shoots for us, and and I know how valuable your talent is. You're giving away free information, like you are literally pouring into us. So talk to us a little bit about what role generosity plays in your business model. I mean, here's the thing, like we're all in this together and I just believe like we are all walking each other home and like, what does that look like in your life? How are you living that out? And for a very long time, I believed the lie of competition in the sense that community wasn't a real thing. I didn't think that true community could exist in the sense of like, we can share our ideas and we can become better together. And so for a very long time, I coveted so much of what I thought were my expert secrets or the trade wins that I had gained over the years. And so once I started to just open myself up in the same way that I did in asking for help, and I started to just share a little bit more about what I was doing or what was working or what wasn't working, I started to see people coming more alive. And I think that there's nothing more cool in life than to see people really just getting excited about what they're doing. And I think I also just got way more comfortable in my skin. So I said, what do I have to offer this world that no one else can offer? And if I just live really true to that, and if I put my head down and do my best work, then sharing what I'm learning is only going to help other people do the same thing. Um, When it comes to generosity in finances, um, we're super passionate about getting clean water for all. And so I became um, really involved with a company or an organization, Healing waters when I donated my time to do images for them out in the Dominican Republic and Guatemala. And, um, I finally was able to take drew on a trip with me, which was really, really eye opening for him because I came back so passionate, so fired up. And I was like, we are giving all of our money to this. (laughs) And he like believed in it, but until you see it and you experience it, it's so hard to explain it to people. Um, and so I was able to take him and my sister to the Dominican Republic and we were able to celebrate our first water project that we funded. Um, and it was just amazing to see not just the project, but the people that were being affected by it, the lives that were changed, the families that were impacted. Um, and so we've become super passionate about that. And I love to just do different things and not tell people like what the sole purpose is. So we did an Instagram challenge. It was a free challenge. We had, you know, 15,000 people be a part of it. And for every single person that used the hashtag, we donated a dollar and we didn't tell anyone this ahead of time. Um, but then, you know, it was just part of our, our mission and making it fun and making people feel involved in ownership. Um, I recently just had a company who accidentally plagiarized one of my watercolor prints and they came forward and apologized. And I said, how about we just take all the money you make on those sales and we donate it? Like, I don't need your money. Um, I know it was an honest mistake. Let's make something good out of this situation when a lot of people could have turned to lawsuits or pulling from production or whatever that looks like. And so, um, I don't know. I've just become really, really conscious of the way that giving, impacts me in a selfish way, but also impacts other people. And it's definitely been a hard walk for me because of how I was raised. And so for a very long time, I just never believed that I had enough to give. And I would keep telling myself, like, once you hit six figures, you'll start donating. Once you hit, you know, 500,000, you'll start donating, whatever that looks like. And I just kept always feeling like I never had enough. And until I actually just started making giving a part of my life, um, it was this snowball effect. Like it was so much more fun to give than to keep and to see the impact that was being made. And so 
it's definitely been a learning curve for me. Um, but we just try to do really fun things. We love to pick up people's tabs at different like diners in Wisconsin. (laughs) Um, uh, we love to just do really weird things like that. And, um, you know, it's just a really beautiful way to steward our money for sure. Oh my God. I love all those examples. You know, I always make everybody do what I call two minutes of bragging, you know, comfortable or not. (laughs) I always say, what are one of your favorite giving moments? You actually just gave us like 10, which is awesome. And it's such a beautiful portrait of who you really are at the heart. Oh, that's, oh wait, I do have one good giving moment. Share it, share it. It's really good. So we were out to dinner one night and um, it was at this really cute restaurant in town and we noticed this couple and they were just so stinking cute. They looked just like we did when we were in college. And one thing that Drew and I have a rule about is that we cannot bring our cell phones into dinner. Um, so whenever we go on dates, we put our cell phones in our glove boxes. And so we had been watching this couple and I'm a super creepy. I love to people watch. And so I'm like, babe, like, look at how cute they are. Like they don't, they're not on their phones. It's like so refreshing. And so we picked up their meal tab and we didn't leave our names or anything. We kind of snuck out of the restaurant and, um, little did I know that that night that boy was proposing to that girl. No way. And, and so she ended up finding me on Instagram because the owner told her my name And, um, she was going to become one of my wedding clients, which was like the coolest, craziest thing ever. And just that we got to be a part of their proposal story. And like, I just love that. Cause I'm like, how fun. Like we, we just left them a note that said, so refreshing to see young people not on their phones, which makes us sound super old, but we're not even 30, (laughs) but I was like, so great to see you guys not on your phones. You remind us of us. So it was cute. I love that. That's a whole separate conversation. Like we could just go down that rabbit hole talking about, how to be a great entrepreneurial couple and work together and all that stuff. We're going to have to do that another time. because that's something that Lori and I are, are very passionate about. So yes. before I ask you the last question, where can we find you? I mean, everyone's going to have a giant crush on you and your information. Where can they sign up for your stuff? Where can they find you? Perfect. So the easiest spot to go is just jennacutcher.com. It's just like Ashton Kutcher, except for unfortunately we're not related. Um, and all of my handles on everything is Jenna Kutcher. So Instagram, Facebook, all of the things. And then my podcast is the Goal Digger podcast, not gold, like gold, but gold, G-O-A-L. Um, and we have shows twice a week and we interview a lot of incredible women entrepreneurs. And Lori Harder is next on our list. Ooh, that is going to be a good one. I love it. Okay, everybody, check out all of her stuff there. Okay, the last question, Jenna, is this. I ask everybody this signature question. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success? I think that you should be unapologetic because if you are putting your head down and you are doing your best work and you are changing lives, you deserve to be paid to do that so that you can do more of that. And I think that a lot of times we are apologetic about it and it hinders us from being freed up to do our best work. And so I believe that if we can just get comfortable with that and pursue those really, really big goals and accept that mindset into our lives, it is only going to make our trajectory go even further upwards so that we can rise other people up to our level. And I totally believe that a candle loses nothing from lighting another candle. And so the brighter that you're shining, the brighter that you're inviting and encouraging other people to do the same. Oh my God. I love that phrase. I haven't heard that before. A candle loses nothing by lighting up another candle. That is freaking awesome. Some brilliant man said it and I love it. And I don't even know what his name is, but bless his heart for coming up with that. That's remarkable. Jenna, thank you so much for all the incredible information you shared, how vulnerable you were. Somebody could literally just listen to this episode alone and their business and their life will skyrocket. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It is such an honor. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, Cheers to your success.